Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today, we have a special guest who is a leadership cultivator, author, and speaker serving leaders in the cannabis and hemp industries. He has specialized in this sector since 2018, and he works with leaders to enhance their power, focus, vision, leadership, and improve their decision-making. He recently launched a new book with co-author Michael Ashley for business leaders in the cannabis space entitled Power Up, Power Tools for Committed Cannabis Leaders. And this is an episode I've been very much looking forward to. And so without further ado, Steve Shire, welcome to the show. Mike, it's great to see you. And thank you very much for having me on the show. That's great. Of course, of course. And congratulations on the new book. Um, I know how much, you know, blood, sweat and tears goes into from from start to finish with the book. So kudos on that and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a wonderful collaboration with Michael and he was a excellent thought partner and uh, it was made much easier by having him involved, I can tell you. That's great. So Steve, if you can just kind of take us back to sort of the first steps of of your, of your journey into the cannabis industry and kind of unpack what that journey looked like for you and what it took to kind of bring you to where you are today. I think that would be a great place for us to start. Well, that'd be great, Mike. Um, my story is kind of an accident. You've heard of the, uh, the book, The Accidental Tourist. Well, I was sort of like the accidental cannabis person. I was working in actually the nonprofit space from about 2011 to about 2018 was getting a little tired of that of that overall venue, and um, I was looking uh, for some other area to get involved in. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from somebody I've known for many years who said to me, "My son, as you know, is in cannabis, and he and his partners are having a great deal of difficulty uh, deciding how to run their organization. And would you step in? You're you're somebody who I know is a great HR person." Uh, I recruited her 20 years earlier uh, when I was the VP of HR of a large internet company. And she said, would you go in and talk to them? And so that began my journey into cannabis. And what I discovered is that these were three people who are all well-intentioned. They're smart. They should never have been together. They, uh, as often happens in the cannabis space, people get together without vetting each other, without really having deep conversations about how things should work and they ran over time right up on the rocks and so i worked with them for the better part of a year and over time they had a semi-amicable divorce which is the only way this was going to go through so that was my entrance into cannabis it was quite accidental uh, but quite illuminating and also really satisfying to be able to help people who are trying to do something great but yet are getting in each other's way. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great kind of segue into a question that I would love to ask you. And I, I dove into the book a little bit, but Steve, I, I, want, I would love for you to share with, with the audience, why do you think power gets such a negative, power gets such negative feedback or, or negative backlash? Um, but on the flip side, it's also very, very important. So can you kind of... Uh, you know, di dive into that for us a little bit. Sure. I, I, I think it, um, I'll, I'll provide you with my sense of it. Okay. So uh, I read The Prince um, when I was, I think, 14 or 15. Um, and the, it was written by Nicholas, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, it was written by 
Niccolo Machiavelli in the 15th, 16th century. And it was a primer for basically for princes uh, about how to use power. Um, basically, the overarching message of the prince is um, that um, the end justifies the means, that if you you can move ahead and do whatever you need to do to create, to create power and to gain power. And if you're successful in the end, the end justifies the means. Um, that's why power has a little bit of a bad name because people see it. And we also are familiar with the very famous quote from Lord Acton where he says, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we get many, many signals and cues over the course of our lifetime that power is bad. I'll always remember I was doing some work with a nonprofit in, I don't know, 2015. Um, this is a situation where the person running the organization wanted one of his subordinates to step up and to uh, have more power, and she wouldn't do it. Um, and when we got her aside and talked to her, she said, you know, I think it's best that it would be great if I had these additional responsibilities, but I don't want anybody to think I'm power hungry. So we have, when we think about power, we think about what we've learned as children in our families, what we've learned at work, what the social environment tells us about power. And what it tells us is that power is dangerous. It's scary. And we really better watch out. In the book, um, I quote somebody that uh, I think is really great. It's uh, Harvard professor, Rosabeth Moss Cantor. And um, let me see if I can very quickly find that quotation. She says that power is America's last dirty word. It's easier to talk about money and much easier to talk about sex than it is to talk about power. People who have it deny it. People who want it do not want to appear to hunger for it. And people who engage in its machinations do so secretly. So power is this thing we do not feel comfortable talking about. Except there's one little catch. We need to feel comfortable about talking about it because the people who have power, they have no problem talking about it. Okay, so if you aspire to power, you have to be comfortable talking about power. So I just think it's really an essential thing. And it's difficult because some people are more introverted. Some people have been burned because they've tried to get, gain power. But power is an indispensable source that propels us forward. And as leaders, we have to be able to project it. But the thing that's different between my point of view and, for example, um, the person who wrote The 48 Laws of Power is that I believe that power comes from trust. The end does not justify the means. From my point of view, people who are able to acquire power do so because they are trusted. If you're not trusted, you might have some short-term situational power, but you're not gonna hold on to it. So that's the difference between me and Machiavelli, or between me and the author of The 48 Laws of Power. I believe that power comes from trust, and power could be sustained if you are trusted. Yeah, I, I love that insight and thank you for sharing that. I think there's a lot of good that can come from power, especially knowing how to maneuver with it in the right situations. And so Steve, you gave one example as somebody who was offered a 
we'll call it a promotion, but they wanted to sort of back off from it because they didn't want to seem to be power hungry. So this book in particular, did you have anybody in mind? You know, we talk about cannabis leaders, but can you sort of break down who might be an ideal reader for this book or anybody who maybe you've had in mind, any particular situations that, that some people in the cannabis industry might be going through where this book just might be exactly, you know, what the doctor prescribed, so to say. Right. I th- thank you. Thank you, Mark. I think that there are a couple of target markets. I think, number one, it's um, a person, a leader in a company, uh, probably a larger company, but a person in the company who has, uh, who is in conflict mm. uh, with other people in their company and they do not know how to resolve it. They do not know how to um uh, project their power in a way that's that's valuable and wholesome. The second would be somebody who's run a company successfully, but now it needs to scale more, and they're not sure at all how to do that, and they're not sure how to get more out of their team. And the third one is um, a leader who's done very well, probably a large multi-state operator, perhaps, who um, wants to expand, is running their company well, But in order for it to really take hold, they need to drive power down into their organization. Um, Those would be three areas where I think that I could be helpful to them. Somebody who's floundering a little bit, somebody who's doing okay but needs to do better, and then somebody who's doing great, um, but they have challenges in front of them. My belief about power is that everyone has power. And successful organizations are organizations that bring and allow people in their teams or on their teams to be more powerful. I don't believe in uh, an environment where only one person has power. In fact, what I tried to talk about in my in my work and in, on my website and stuff is that, you know, the CEO is a source of power, but you need to develop power lines, so to speak, to your middle managers and to really everybody in the organization so that your output can be uh, most uh, positively affected. Uh, If people feel disempowered, you're not going to be able to get very much out of them, right? And the um, feeling I have is that, you know, when I see people that are not doing well, it's because they believe that um, they have power, they have a title, and that entitles them to certain... um, uh, to certain uh, benefits that they really are not entitled to. And, you know, people have to understand that every day, it's sort of like they should be thinking that they're walking around with a little stock ticker next to their head. And just like in the stock market, they're either gaining or losing power every day. Power wants a vessel. Power is like an element in the world. It wants a vessel. It wants somebody to invest in. But, Power is ever-changing. And if you're not trusted, you're going to lose power. And if you believe that you're, you're a made man or woman and you're like good forever, that's a, that's a fallacy. Every day, you're either, your stock market ticker is either up or down. Wow. You know, so this is very, this is very, very interesting. And I appreciate you sharing so much. When I hear, when I hear you speak about power, Steve, the it's almost like I also every time I hear the word power, I see the word trust right next mm-hmm. to it. And so 
without giving away all of the golden nuggets of the book, can you share with us maybe just one tip or one takeaway that that business leaders can do to instill more trust, not just maybe on a one-on-one level, but sort of establish those power lines and establish trust among a team that they're working with? Right. Um, Really good question, Mike. I think that power comes from trust and trust comes from listening. If you don't listen to the people around you, you are not going to be able to raise them up and they're not going to trust you. So there are many tidbits like this in the book, but listening is an important uh, element of, of leadership and an important element of power. People will do so much more for you and so much for the entity you're trying to promote if they feel listened to. In addition, a, a couple of other things I would say is don't waste your communication opportunities. I've seen leaders get up in front of their groups and they're just shooting the shit and they're like, no. Mm-hmm. I, I, I worked for and I observed one of the, I think the greatest communicators of the 20th century, Steve Jobs. Steve was in 20th and 21st century. Steve was an incredible uh, communicator. He didn't waste anyone's time. If he got up in front of you, it is because he had a message to give you. And too often people get up and they're just wanting to just make themselves feel good and it's a waste. And so one of the sections of the book I talk about, I, I talk about um, you know, the, um, the, the, the famous play, the famous Shakespearean play, uh, Henry V. And I talk about Henry's soliloquy in, in, uh, in Henry V, where he says, you know, those of you who shed your blood to me, with me today will be my brothers. That line is over 400 years old and it still has resonance. What he's saying is that if you work with me, if you act with me, I will forever be in your debt. I will forever consider you my brother. And, you know, it's an incredibly important, um, it's of incredible importance to make that connection to people. People want to be involved in something that's great. They do. And if you can inspire them through your words, through your language, through your challenges, you and the organization and they will be all the better for it. And the last thing I would say is that I believe that power is flows through all of us, right? And the more we can encourage people on our team to think that they have power and to encourage their power, the better off they'll be. Some people think very small about power. They think life will be so much better if I just have all the power and therefore I can make all the decisions. It's a very small game. It's not going to work. What you need to do is encourage everybody around you to think of themselves as powerful people. That doesn't mean that they run off in a myriad of different directions, because if you establish a vision of what you're trying to create, they will they will adhere to that to that vision. But they'll do so with their own power. And that's what we need to do as a society, as a business, in our own individual lives. We need to be as powerful as we can be. And Steve, that these are all great points. And to add to that as sort of a follow-up question and or follow-up thought, 
it almost sounds like we need to enable people. And I say that in a positive way, we need to give them the tools and the resources in order to do what as leaders, what we need them to do and to, to follow through with the vision of a particular company or organization. And so by giving people power, it doesn't just mean giving them a new title and saying, you know, here you go, you start, you start tomorrow, right. here, here's your pen and paper, but you need to enable them with the resources, the tools, um, access to you or to others in order to help them do what they do best. And so I, it seems to me like power is, is, is a very two-way street. And a lot oh, of times, it. unfortunately, in society, we don't, we don't talk about it that way. It seems like it's very one-sided. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in my work, what I do, I start off working with the CEO and then I work with the CEO and his team, his senior team or her senior team. And then we, if the engagement goes all the way to through the organization, then we work with everybody on the team. And what I do with those folks is have them advocate for decisions they want to make because Power is important, but the decisions that come from power is what drives the organization forward. And lots of times people don't know that they can make decisions and they're afraid to make decisions. And there's nothing more important than the CEO of an organization saying to the people in the middle and even lower ranks of the organization, these are decisions that you can advocate for. You've advocated for them. They're yours to make now. Go ahead and make them. Because I don't like to just simply approach this in a theoretical vein or in a book vein. I want to really see real change on the ground. And so when I work in companies, I'm working with them to change the leader's point of view, to engage middle managers, and to engage the team. That's what's you know important to me because that's how you get real change. Unfortunately, in middle manager in middle management these days. You know, people are paid a good amount of money. I'm not begrudging them about that at all. It's just that what they've been trained to do is to herd decisions to people more senior than they are so that they can make them. I envision, my vision is organizations that are filled with people who feel strong enough and brave enough and empowered enough to actually make decisions. And they are working in companies where if they make a wrong decision, it's not the end of the world as long as they tried to think it through. Yeah, and 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 so we, we talked a little bit about what about who the target market or or who an ideal reader for the book is. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to kind of transition into what you do um, on a day to day basis and kind of where your your expertise lies. And so, what does your ideal organization look like or what are some pain points that you typically address when a company or an organization or a nonprofit comes to you and says you know very generally hey we need help um right. what are they typically struggling with and where do you come in to sort of help solidify what they need help with yeah well i'm not doing any more work in the nonprofit space i'm 100 cannabis but um typically leaders are coming to me because they're feeling overwhelmed and they're having a hard time with focus. Mm. Um, they are also afraid sometimes to exercise their power. You have to remember, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that, but we all remember when cannabis 
you know, was an unregulated illegal substance, right? And, you know, a lot of people got into cannabis to um, make money, of course, but also to defy the man. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Um, and, you know, then one morning they woke up and they realized, wait, I am the man <laughs> or the woman, right? I have to now run an organization. I'm responsible for 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 people. And I don't really know how to advance uh, what I'm trying to do. And the skills that and the modalities I used when I was in the unregulated or illegal market are not ones that really seem to be bearing fruit in the in the regular market. So a lot of my work is trying to shift the orientation about power that leaders have and try to get them to understand that um, they have to be thinking differently about how they lead, right? And so when people come to me, as I said earlier in the show, it's because they're, they're really, they're in conflict. Mm -hmm. They've gotten to at a certain point, they need to grow it more, or they've been really successful, but now in order to create more expansion, they need to empower everybody on their team. And they don't know really how to do it because power, Mike, is not something we really talk about. As I said earlier, we don't really talk about power. Power, it's easier, as I said, to talk about money or talk about sex than it is to talk about power. And because it's such a uh, scary topic, we don't engage in it. Yeah, and I, it's funny you bring that up. When, when I first went through the book and started reading it in the first few pages, I remember I started reading and I thought to myself, wow, you're coming at power from a very non-taboo lens. And I was almost like, it, I almost felt like I was getting hit in the face with it. And I was like, wow, I don't know that I've ever actually had a conversation with somebody or read about it in just a very blunt forthcoming way. And the more and more I got through the book and the more examples that you used and showed and broke down how certain, how certain situations worked, it started to make more and more sense. And it, that light bulb started to click. And I, I thought to myself, the fact that when I read, you know, pages one through three, I was thinking to myself, sheesh, this is a bit taboo. And then by the time I got to page 55, I was thinking we need more light on this. We need, we need to have more open conversations about this. And that taboo factor has to disappear because otherwise these conflicts and these, these issues are going to continue to happen. No, you know, for indefinitely. Right. And the people who have power have found a way to be comfortable with it. Mm. And, you know, we want to empower everyone. I want to empower everyone so that we can have a better society and people um, have lots of obstacles in their way. It's not like life is easy. It's not. Um, and it starts with reframing how powerful we think each of us are, which is the first step. Without that reframing, without being able to, as my, uh, you know, my old company, my, not my old company, but as Apple said in the Think Different campaign, you know, if we can't think different, then we're not going to be able to make much progress. If we think power is scary, the purview of other people, something that we feel uncomfortable with, you know, it's not going to work as well. And, you know, it's not a 
often I, I try to tell people it's not an off and on switch. You don't go from not feeling power to feeling powerful overnight. It's more like a rheostat. It's like, you know, you just need got to turn it up slowly so that you'll become more powerful and feel more powerful a year from now than you do now. It's a lifetime. Uh, it's a lifetime quest. One of my book uh, mentors, somebody I work with on my first book, um, he told me um, many years ago. I was uh, we both shared in an, uh, a unfortunate thing, which is that both of our wives had died um, from cancer. And I first was working with him when I was still really actively grieving my wife. Um, and I said to him, uh, Joel, uh, how did you make it work? And he, his wife had died like 10 years earlier. Um, and he said to me in Spanish, in the most beautiful Spanish, um, you know, there is no, there is no path. You make the path as you go. And that's the way it is with power. There is no freeway to power. There is no on and off switch. You just have to try to become a little bit more powerful every day. And what that means is being a little bit more faithful every day to what you think is important. Now, you can't, people also, um, and thanks for listening, Mike. I mean, you're, I really appreciate it. The, the, like in the old Star Wars movies, there's there needs to be balance in the force and there needs to be balance in how we view power. You can be like a runaway nuclear reactor like in Chernobyl, or you can be underpowered. Neither of those are a good solution. You need to be in the middle. You need to be aware of your power, trying to give power to other people, staying in your power, and that's how you make progress. That's really insightful, Stephen. I, I couldn't agree more. For, for those who would love to connect with you further on, a, on an individual basis or learn more about you, pick up a copy of, of your book, what's the best place for them to reach out and connect with you? Uh, absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much. So they can uh, contact me uh, at steve at steveshire.com. I have a difficult name to spell, so I will spell it. So it's S is in Sam, C is in Charlie, H is in Henry, E-I-E-R. So steve at steveshire.com. My website is steveshire.com. The book can be found on Amazon. It's uh, Steve Shire. It's Power Up by Steve Shire and Michael Ashley. And uh, be grateful for your feedback and be happy to engage with you. So, Mike, it's really been a great, great pleasure to talk to you today. And I hope that your listeners uh, get a lot of value from what we discussed. And uh, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Steve. I, I appreciate your time and I'm sure they will. Like I said, this was a this was an episode that I was very excited to have. And I think this is a topic that will probably be of value to many. So again, thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Take care, Mike. Thanks so much. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news 
and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.